Once again, it's an honor to uh, welcome you to uh, this time in our service when we open the Bible. As I've been saying recently, um, I don't know that there's anything you can do as a Christ follower that will help you grow in your faith more than simply this. Read your Bible. Uh, Read your Bible every day. Allow the Word of God to take root in you and fill you up. We have been studying uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And today, uh, we're covering two chapters, although we're just going to look at a few verses because of, of time. But the two chapters we're looking at are chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. These are the classic chapters that preachers use when they want to extract money from the congregation. Okay, so I'm not going to really do that, but what I am going to do is tell you about this amazing thing that you can be a part of that's called generosity. And so that's our word to you from God's word today. And Paul says through all of these messages, his overall message is be encouraged. Uh, Be encouraged because you are no longer part of the old covenant. The old covenant is about rules and regulations. The old covenant is about religion. Be encouraged because you are experiencing the new covenant, which is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Be encouraged because even though your earthly bodies will someday fold up like a cheap tent, we all know that, these bodies aren't going to last very long, and when they do, God says, I promise you that at the resurrection, I'll give you a brand new body. In fact, Jesus said, and Jeremiah said, and in Genesis, uh, Moses quoted all of the same thing, and it's this, I will make all things new. God promises that. In Christ Jesus, I will make all things new. So your old body will be turned into a new body. And then what we looked at last week, that the old life in sin will be replaced by a new life in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 And when you know what it means to be new in Christ. And we learned that a couple weeks ago. We're recreated, we're reconciled, we're righteous, and we're representatives, we're ambassadors of Jesus. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Okay, we've memorized that, right? So let's say it together. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. I got a call uh, early in this week from uh, someone new in our church, um, Uh, A young man uh, called me and he said, "Uh, I've got this dilemma. He needed some resources and some help. And uh, a friend of his uh, found himself in a very dangerous, very difficult situation. And um, this man from our church uh, wanted to help him. And so he actually did help him. He went over there knowing full well that when you step into these kind of situations with a friend, they're going to be messy and complicated and time-consuming, right? All of us know when we've had those opportunities and we're saying, oh, I don't know if I want to step into this. I don't know if I want to do this because this is going to take time and this guy really needs help and he needs resources and he's really in a bad place and it's going to take time and I don't know if I have the resources and all. And you're saying all of these things. But the bottom line was, he told me on the phone is this. He said, Pastor Duane, I know who I am. Therefore, I know what I have to do. I know who I am in Christ Jesus, and therefore I know what I have to do. And so that's Paul's message throughout this entire book. And that comes to us today in the area of generosity. 
Now, in every, every area of our lives, and you, re- you heard what we read before communion, that before they gave any money, uh, they gave themselves first to Christ. So the first thing we can do, any of us, is to give ourselves to the Lord. But when we give ourselves to the Lord, we have a tendency to kind of want to hold back on certain areas, the certain areas that we uh, deem are the most important to us. So we are a little hard giving all our time to the Lord, right? We have a hard time giving our, our sexuality to the Lord. We have a hard time uh, giving our um, uh, money to the Lord. We have a hard time giving some of these things to the Lord because they're just so precious to us. And so Paul reminds us that even the things that are difficult to give to me, those are the very things that I want the most because those are the things that become, can become idols. And so he talks to the church at Corinth about generosity. I'm going to read the first seven verses of chapter 8. And now again, your assignment throughout this whole time is to read 2 Corinthians every week. Okay, this week I want to make your assignment a little bit different. Just read chapters 8 and 9 this week, okay? But read them two or three times. Uh, Every day before your devotions, just read one chapter. It'll take you about 75 seconds, okay? And so read one chapter, uh, uh, chapter 8 or 9 every day uh, this week. So let me read to you that text from the first seven verses of chapter 8. Here's what the Lord says to Hope Covenant Church. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy. (laughs) That's interesting. They're very poor, and they're filled with abundant joy. In our society, we don't think those two things can possibly go together. Okay? He's saying it does. They are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Notice in that first verse, those two things are connected. They have, uh, they're very poor, and rich generosity in the same sentence. You say, how does that work? Okay, he tells us. For I can now testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. By the way, that's never happened to me. I've never had somebody come and beg me to give to the church, okay? They either do or they don't. But if you ever want to come and beg me, my answer is going to be yes, okay? I just want you to know that up front. So they begged them, again, for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves, as we did in communion, we gave ourselves to the Lord and to us and to the church at Corinth, just as God wanted them to. And then the last paragraph. So we have urged Titus, Titus was the one who, the first, in 1 Corinthians, he was sent there to take an offering for the church at Jerusalem, okay? So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, this is where Paul kind of, you know, picks them up so they'll give more. Uh, when you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of of giving. Isn't that a marvelous passage? I just love that passage. So most of you remember the context. Let me tick it off for those of you who are new today. So the church at Jerusalem was just disgustingly poor. 
And the reason being is that was the epicenter of everything. That's where Jesus had been spent most of his life. That's where the church is being persecuted the most by the Jewish leaders. And so these people had nothing. They were boycotted economically. They couldn't hold jobs. They'd meet together and they'd give their meager bread and whatever just to try and stay alive, keep the kids alive. So they had nothing. So Paul, through Titus, had asked the churches, other churches, Corinth, Galatia, Romans, Rome, all the other churches, please take up an offering and send it to Jerusalem because they are really struggling and they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. So the first churches to respond were the churches in Macedonia, which were other Greek churches besides Corinth, right? They're all in Greece. And so these churches in Macedonia uh, took up uh, this amazing offering and sent it to uh, Jerusalem in spite of the fact that they were incredibly poor. And they had nothing, so they were poor, but out of their rich generosity, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then they gave to the church at Jerusalem. This is the context in which uh, Paul speaks these words. Now, Paul says, one of the great marks of your new life in Christ, one of the great marks of, of when you know who you are, you'll know what to do, is your ability and your desire to be generous. Now, let me speak about, first of all, uh, the word um, desire. Uh, and I'll just get personal f- with us for just a moment. My conviction at in Hope Covenant Church, and I've been here for 13 years, my conviction is that there's not one single person in this room that doesn't have a desire to be generous. I believe that with all my heart. I know most of you well. I know some of you a little bit, and a few of you I don't know at all if you're first time here. But I believe that every single person in this room, whether you're a Christ follower or not, even if you're not, I think every human being, in this room at least, the ones I know, have a desire to be generous. I believe that. Now, here's the problem. It's okay to have the desire to be generous unless we don't have any financial margins. (laughs) Because if we don't have any financial margins, we don't have the ability to be generous. We've got people knocking on the door asking for all of our money, and we just don't have that ability to be generous. So I believe the problem is not so much desire. I believe it's ability, and that ability is connected to the margins that we have or haven't made in our finances, because I think income for most of us is not the problem. I think the problem is is margins and lifestyle, right? So let me give you a couple of presuppositions about the text, then we'll dig in. So here's presupposition number one, and it's this. Almost everyone, not everyone, but almost everyone in this room today on this day in November 2013, almost everyone in this room by the world's standards is rich. Okay, if you make $20,000 or more, by the world's standards, you are in the top 95% of money earners in the world. Okay, so let's establish the fact that we, we're kind of skewed in America because we're so affluent, at, but, but bottom line is 95% of us in this room, probably more, probably more like 98 or 99% of us, all make more than $20,000, and we are, by the world standards, uh, rich, wealthy. Okay, that's presupposition number one. Presupposition number two, we have more than we need. Can I say that? I mean, I think most of you recognize that. Just look in your closets, right? <laughs> look in your garage. Yeah. We have more than we need. Number three, we lack, a lack of financial margins leads to stress, anxiety, tension, worry, and divorce. That's a lack of financial margins. That's, 
not having any money left over at the end of the month or having month left over when the end of the money comes, right? We all know that. <laughs> Number four, money is not the solution to contentment and happiness. That's my other presupposition. Now, I know some of you will challenge me say, okay, let me try. <laughs> I'll be the first one to be content and happy if I have a lot of money. But uh, I think the bottom line, we all recognize that uh, money is not the solution to contentment and happiness. So here's the definition of financial margin. Financial margin is this. It's a, it's a simple formula. Cash resources minus cash usages. In other words, the difference between what I earn and what I spend is financial margins. So you have a table, uh, maybe a table like we have our offering basket on here, and you put on the table all of the money that you make for the month of November. Okay, so all the money's on the, there. And then you start taking the money away based on obligations, your rent or your mortgage, car, uh, gas, uh, uh, you know, big chunk for the, uh, government, uh, taxes, uh, you know, all, all the things. And, and, and then when you've taken all those obligations away, what's left on the table is your financial margins. Now, I know what some of you are going to say, what's left on the table is the table. <laughs> that's it. You know, there's, not, there's nothing else. But that's the problem. <laughs> we, we don't have financial margins. So here's the good news for today. God wants you to be generous. And he wants you to have financial margins because, we're not just going to say what, we're going to say why, because stress and anxiety about money deeply affects your happiness, your relationship in your family and your friends, and your walk with God. Let me say that again. The good news is God wants you to be generous and to have financial margins because stress and anxiety about money deeply affect your happiness your relationship with your family and others, and your walk with God. So after the, by the way, we have a F FPU class, Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey, that's uh, about what, about halfway through it, something like that. So it's about halfway through. We have quite a few people uh, going to the class, about 40 people. And we've had about 120 or 120, 30 people that have gone to FPU in past months, past years. So we have a lot of our people who are getting their finances in order. They are building financial margins, which is awesome. And uh, so after the last financial peace class, a woman came to me, uh, part of our church, and she said, um, today is a really important day for me. And she's a single mom, by the way. And I said, really? Why is that? She said, today, I just finished FPU. Today, I'm going to put my first check in the offering plate. And I said, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. She said, now, it's not a tithe. It's not 10%, but, it, but it's, it's my beginning, and it's the first time. And she had tears in her eyes, and she, put, she said, when I put that check in the offering plate, here's what I, I'm believing. I'm believing that for the first time, I, financially, I am um, uh, supporting the work of the kingdom at Hope Covenant Church. And that really means a lot to me. I was so moved by that. A single mom who recognizes that, that she desperately wants to be generous. And she hasn't been able to because she's had no financial margins. But she has decided she is going to make financial margins. That might mean you need to push some of the materialistic stuff off of this end of the table, right? But she's going to make financial margins for that to happen. She said, I get to participate, at least at church-wide, for the first time in reaching one more for Jesus. She said, it's going to be so exciting when I put my check in the offering plate. That's what... Paul means in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians when he says, I want you to give sacrificially and 
hilariously. That's exactly the Greek word. It means you should be laughing with joy when you put money in the offering plate. That's what Paul said that the church at Macedonia did. So Paul said in the text, listen, this church, they didn't have any money, but they put in what they could afford, barely, because they had some margins, even though they were poor. But beyond that, they gave even more. And they begged for the privilege of giving to the saints at Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? So here's one of my convictions. For most of us, it's not about income. It's about our lifestyle. Christ followers have allowed the culture, and I'm I'm one of those, okay? Christ followers have allowed the culture to push us into this mode of bigger, better, shinier, newer, okay? And the culture's done that. And we've embraced it, and we said, okay, I want to be part of that. And, And when we play that game, we not only rob God, but we rob ourselves. Now, you might ask the question, well, how does that rob me? In fact, I, I kind of feel good about it because I'm spending more money on, on me. You know, how does, how does that rob me? Well, let me tell you how that robs you. It robs you financially, first of all, because it affects your ability to com- accomplish your financial goals. If you're spending every money, every bit of money every month or more, the average American spends 106% of their income every month. So if you're spending every bit of your money plus more every month, it affects your ability to accomplish your financial goals. It also affects your ability to be generous. You have no margins. There's no room for emergencies. All these things that happen when we don't have margins, right? It's funny, since Sherry and I have had financial margins since we moved out here, as you know, when I left Minnesota, we had nothing because of my stupid gambling addiction, but when we came out here, we started from scratch, and because we put God first, and we start building in margins, we have the ability to be generous. When somebody says, I need something uh, for missions, or I need something for the, for the black and white ball, or whatever, sure, we'll just write a check, because we have built margins, and th- that gives us the ability to be generous, and we want that for everyone. So it affects us financially when we rob ourselves, right? It also affects us relationally, worry, argue, fighting over money. It's the number one cause of divorce. The wife says, well, or the husband says, well, if you'd only spend less, and the wife comes back and says, well, if you'd only make more, you know, that kind of a deal, that stuff is dead in the water. It makes your marriage so uncomfortable. And you know what? We've all been there. We all have. So it affects our relationships with those especially that we love. Um, and also, you know, so you have something at church where, you know, the, the, the Christmas child boxes, Operation Christmas Child, it takes about between 20 and, if Sherry's doing it, 30 bucks to fill one of those boxes. And um, because, you know, you fill it and stuff it with all kinds of stuff. And, and, and you know, some people have told me, I would love to do a Christmas box, but I don't have 20 bucks to my name. Isn't that sad? I mean, and maybe it's legitimate for them. It may be very much so. They're just trying to put food on the table, and we understand that. But it really affects us relationally when we can't be generous. Then it affects us emotionally because we have no peace. We worry about it. And all, all of us know the more money we have, the more mo- we worry about money. <laughs> okay, uh, you know, somebody asked, uh, I forget who it was, some famous financial guru, how much do you need? He said, just a little bit more. I got hundreds of millions, but how much do you need? Just a little bit more. And there's that kind of emotional dependency on stuff. And then finally, it affects us spiritually um, because we believe that uh, God is uh, being stingy. That's right. We believe God is... When we don't give back to the Lord, we believe God is stingy. What we mean is that we don't think God has given us enough money. And we don't think God has given us a good enough job. And we don't think God has given us enough 
and therefore he's stingy, so why shouldn't I be stingy? That is exactly what people think. That's what I used to think. It affects us spiritually. So when it comes to spending, now we do, and we're good about our faith. We love God. And so we say, Lord, I want to pray for safety for my kids, my grandkids, my wife. Lord, I want to have a good job so I have money to take care of my family. All legitimate prayers. Lord, I want to I thank you for my home and my cars, and I just thank you for my life and everything. So thank you for all that you've given me. Lord, thank you for that. But when it comes to spending, we don't talk to God. We don't talk to, we talk, we talk to God a lot about how much money we want. We talk to God hardly ever about our spending. We leave God at church in those conversations. And we basically say, okay, when it comes to spending, Father, leave it up to me. I'll take it from here. You know, I'll, I'll be the guy. I'll, I'll handle, you give me lots of money, but I'll handle everything else. I'll handle all of the spending. Uh, I, because I believe it's mine. I earned it. It's my job. I pounded the pavement. I did the work. It's my job. So we have a problem when it comes to understanding whose is it. We believe that it's all mine. And God knew this would be a problem for us. It's all mine. If you've ever seen uh, Finding Nemo, uh, I, we're sometimes like the seagulls, right? Mine, mine, mine. You know, all the money we have, it's mine. You know, don't tell me I need to give the church a dollar. Don't tell me I need to give missions a dollar. It's mine. And so we have this problem. The children of Israel had the same problem. And this is what the father said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8. But that is the time to be careful, talking about giving. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God. By the way, we already know this, but let me say it out loud. The times when we are the most, we lack generosity the most is when we have the most. Because we think it's Mars, and we, and we want some more, and we lack that generosity when we have the most. So uh, uh, Moses said to the children of Israel through God, but that is the time to be careful. Beware that you're plenty, in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and your herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God. Beware and be careful are used over and over again in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It goes on to say that God is the one who gave us the ability to make a buck. These hands, my feet, my mind, the fact that I was born in the United States of America, thank you Lord for that, not in Bangladesh. You know, all of these things are a gift from God, it has nothing to do with me. I, it, was, it, was not, it was not me who was born in San Diego to parents at the time who weren't very affluent, but they taught me how, about education. They taught me about how to handle money. They made sure I got to college. They made all those things I had, and none of that was about me. It was about just circumstances. And Paul says, or the writer of, uh, of Deuteronomy says, be very careful. Be very careful that you forget God. Now, it's said in a different way in the book of Malachi. Okay, now that's, sometimes new people read that and they read Malachi, you know, like he's an Italian prophet. No, he's not an Italian prophet. He's a Jewish prophet. The book of Malachi, 400 years before Jesus, 100 years after the children of Israel were brought back to their land of Israel, they had grown apathetic, their crops had failed, there was threat of invasion from the Babylonians, and they said basically, God, what's up? How come, we're your children, 
Don't you love us? How come we're not prospering? And how come we don't have extra money? And how come our, the, the bad guys are knocking at our doors? And how come it's kind of like a country western song that Scott Tonkinson would write, you know? Why are you treating us so bad, God? You, know, you can almost hear the plinking, you know? Why are you treating us so bad? Well, here's what uh, the prophet Malachi said, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. And so as the Israelites are reading this, they said, uh-oh, he's putting this back on us, isn't he? <laughs> We're saying, why don't you give us more? God's putting this back on us. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? God says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. <gasps> and the Israelites said, oh, how? But you ask, how? what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, God? You have cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Now, as long as things are going good, as long as the crops are coming in, Babylonians were staying away, everything was good, and they just kind of forgot the Lord. And then when things started kind of falling apart, everything fell apart for them. So here was the law in those days. 20% of your income off the top went to God. 20%, you heard that right. Not 10%, we talk about 10%, 20%. 10% went to the temple taxes the, the, uh, to take care of the, the Levites, take care of the priests, take care of the temple, all the kind of things that we talk about, ties, keeping our church up, paying the salaries of your staff, etc. So that's the 10%, that's the first 10%. The other 10% was a kind of a national Israeli tax. Okay? It was for national feasts, Feast of the Pentecost, all of those things. So they would store up monies and grain and, and animals for these national feasts. So, so 20% off the top was to be given to the Lord. And then every third year, listen to this, every third year, another 10% was to be taken and that money was to be given to the poor. So every third year, you're giving 30%, right? So you think, you guys, 10%, you're getting off easy. So, so that's what was happening. But the children of Israel drifted away from God. And, and when you start drifting away from God, you start, start making choices about money. You know what? I'm not going to give the church money because I'm mad at Pastor Dwayne. Or I'm not going to give the church money because they didn't you know, sing the right kind of song. Or so, and so I'm going to take that away. And I'm going to spend it on something else. And so we start kind of diverting God's money somewhere else. And guess what? It spends really easy. It does. It spends really easy. And so that's what we do. So all of this for the Israelites was before taxes. They drifted away from God. They forgot who the source was. They gave less and less and less until there was nothing left over. God says, you have received my blessings, and yet you have failed to take care of the kingdom and the poor. And so this is what God said to the Israelites. Okay, this is the way you want to play this. I give you free will. Okay, you're on your own when it comes to money. I'll just kind of back away. You're on your own. You've decided that you want me cut out of the money equation. You don't want to understand how to spend and how to do it my way. I'll, I'll just kind of step out. And, 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 and so the Israelites experienced that by having crops that were tainted and enemies that encroached on their gates. And God says, you are consuming everything. You have no margin. And so you rob me, and you rob the poor. You're not inviting me into your financial lives. And then we read this in Malachi 3.10. You know this verse well. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, 
I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, God says, try me. Test me. Invite me in. Try me. Test me. Invite me in. There was a, um, uh, a young man in our church uh, about six months ago came and it was when we were talking about momentum for ministry and we'll talk about that uh, in a few moments. And he said, my wife and I'd really like to give to this, but before we give to this, we, we, think, we feel like we need to start giving to the church. We've never done that. We're new Christians. It's never been a part of our history. We're struggling financially. We know, don't know where it's going to come from, but we want to do what's best. And so we talked and we prayed about it. And he and his wife decided to start with a certain percentage uh, to give to the Lord. Two months later, he comes back to me. He says, guess what? I said, what? He said, I just got a raise. He said, I got a raise that is twice as much as what we're giving to the church. And he said, I can't believe that that Malachi passage, you know, he didn't know the Bible very well. That Malachi passage was absolutely true. Try me, test me. I'll prove to you that you cannot outgive God. In our prayer meeting before our services this morning, one of the guys prayed, God, we can't outgive you. And we can't. And now this isn't a parlor trick. Don't start tithing so that God will give you a lot of money. That's, not, that's a parlor trick. That's not what it is. But when you recognize God's generosity to you, you have to be generous to him. And that's when everything works in syncopation. That's when everything works. And it's such an amazing God thing when that happens. Try me. Test me. Invite me in. So here's a, a word for each and every one of us. Giving. Priority giving of a certain percentage breaks the power of money on an individual's life. It breaks the power of greed and materialism. Here's what God says, invite me in. You invite me into the other stuff. God, take care of my wife, my kids, make sure they're healthy, make sure they get a good education. God, give me a better job so I can make more money. So we invite him into all that stuff. But when it comes to spending, we don't invite him in. Invite him in. But pastor, I have no margin. I have no room. I'm, I'm one of those that's below the 20,000 mark. Uh, and some of us would say, I've presumed on the future. And presuming on the future is simply using credit cards. You presume, and I've done all these things. I know I've done things wrong. How can I possibly give? Well, God says, it's just simply this. Invite me in. Pray about it. Uh, come and talk to one of us on the staff about it. How can I do this? I don't want to be, I have to still pay my bills. Of course you do. But invite me in. And God says, invite me in generously and strategically. Listen, this is what God is saying. I've given you everything. Mind, strength, ability, aptitude. I've given you everything. And I've given you all of that. We know what we are. A couple weeks ago, we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are the highest ordained individuals in the universe ordained by God to take the message of God's reconciliation from heaven to earth. That's who you are. Okay? You're an ambassador of God. And this thing about money is about our commitment to Christ and his kingdom. So, of it, so many of us get so tied to the little kingdom, the kingdom of man. We spend all of our money on the kingdom of man and we forget the kingdom of God. The kingdom of man is temporary. The kingdom of man is going to be over, at least for me, in 20, 30 years. For you, some of you, you'll be longer unless the Lord returns. But the kingdom of man is temporary. The kingdom of God is eternal. Invite me into your finances, God says. 2 Corinthians 8, 5, they even did more than we had hoped for. 
for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to. Now, you say, well, how does all this happen? This is the good news. Uh, how does margins and generosity happen? And I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's really kind of magic. Here's the take-home truth. You get to choose. You get to choose. God's not going to make that choice for you. He already has. He told you in the Scriptures what He wants you to do. You get to choose. What kind of a Christ follower am I going to be? Generous? Um, one who contributes to the kingdom? To reaching one more for Jesus Christ? What kind of a Christ follower am I going to be? You get to choose. And we're not going to come knocking on your doors. Other than like the Mormons, they send you a bill for your tithe. We don't do any of that. In fact, nobody knows anything about your giving except Michelle Pollard because she's our financial secretary. I don't know. The staff doesn't know. Nobody knows what you give. So when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to all of you. Some of you may give crazy amounts and others may give nothing. I don't know that. But here's the word of God. Invite me into your finances. We get to choose. When you have financial margins, you are better off financially, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. Generosity advances the kingdom. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So there's the the farmer who's going to be baptized. He gives his heart to Christ, and he tells the preacher when he gets to the pond to be baptized, he says, just a minute, I forgot something. The, the farmer runs back to his truck, grabs his wallet, his billfold, puts it in his pocket. He said, preacher, I heard you say everything that goes under the water belongs to God. And if I don't put my wallet under the water, I know what's going to happen. We need to do that. Those of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus, we need to put our wallets under the water because it belongs to God. So here's God's message for you and for me today. The Lord Jesus would say, invite me into your finances. And when you do that, imagine what will happen. Here's what will happen when you invite him into your finances. You will have the margins to be generous. Sherry and I got started late in life because of my stupidity. But God has blessed us these last 13 years. And we have margins in order to be generous. Here's something else will happen when you invite Jesus into your finances. He'll set you free from anxiety and worry. Sherry and I haven't had an argument about finances since we've lived here. And we used to argue all the time about money. It'll set you free. Here's another thing it'll do. Your generosity to the church, to missions, by the way, over 10% of every dollar you put in the offering plate goes out of this building to do missions, home missions and world missions. We give our tithe as well, right? So your generosity to the church, missions, we're going to hear in a minute how that our debt is almost under a million dollars and it's going to be close at the end of the year. And how how you can further the kingdom, how you can reach one more for Jesus Christ by your generosity to the kingdom of God. Like that woman who put her first check in the offering plate with tears in her eyes. I am participating in reaching one more for Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Invite him into your life and into your finances. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, Mark 6, Matthew 6, 33. In giving and in generosity, listen please, when you know who you are, you'll know exactly what to do. Let's pray. Father, um, Lord, you were never embarrassed about talking about money, so I'm not either. And I just thank you, Father, that so much, so we all recognize that our pocketbooks are the tightest things we have on our, in our possession. And we just don't want to open them up very quickly. But Lord, this idea of having margins and being generous, 
so that one more person can find Jesus. That is so powerful to me. That is such a great motivation. It's not about shame or guilt about what you have in the past. It's about, God, I can participate in the kingdom of God, in the big kingdom right now by helping one more person come to Jesus through my generosity. Father, would you touch every heart, every life in this sanctuary. May they know that they are your ambassadors, that they carry with them the message of reconciliation as an emissary from you, from heaven, to this earth, to other people, so that others might know the good news of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Father, that is our desire. That's what, it, what matters to us more than anything, everything else. Because, Father, when it comes to generosity and when it comes to living our lives faithfully for you, when we know who we are, we'll know exactly what to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.